1: Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead. This is Austin Real Estate Investing. And today we have Becca Christiansen. Becca is a local Austin lender and also a local real estate investor, mostly up in the Leander slash Liberty Hill area, but I'll let her tell you all about that. Hi, Becca.
0: Hey, how's it going?
1: Doing well, how are you?
0: Fantastic, thanks.
1: So Becca, real quick, could you just tell our guests who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing?
0: yeah um so i'm becca christensen and uh i make loans fun um (laughs) obviously it's still a mortgage um but i do my best to make them fun and uh help people you know do amazing things in real estate and i would say that's one part of how i'm involved is that help that helping people piece and figuring out their loan figuring out hey i want to buy this many properties how do i do that um what price point do i do them at and then also with my husband uh, we uh, invest as well. And it's really, I would say, kickstarted even more uh, in 2020. So it's very exciting.
1: That's awesome. I, I can't tell you how many people I've met that have actually gotten some amazing deals in 2020. Um, you know, could you tell us a little bit about how you got started real estate investing? Because I know you've got a really interested story, interesting story about your first property and what you guys did there. I think a yeah. lot of us will get some great value out of that.
0: Yeah. So, um, so I actually bought my first home back in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a new build in a, a you know, kind of a crappy, you know, production community. And um then I met my my husband Darren and we lived in it for a little while, but it it just wasn't us. It wasn't the right fit at all. And <sighs> we wanted to live where there wasn't an HOA basically because he had a greenhouse that he loved Mm and HOA just had a really hard time with it. So we were searching all over the place for the right fit where we could just kind of do what we wanted. Like we could have chickens, we could have a greenhouse um, and have that flexibility. And so in Leander, um, there's some spots that are not necessarily like great neighborhoods and they don't necessarily have amazing homes. Um, obviously when you don't have an HOA, you can do whatever the heck you want. Some people choose to do nice things. Some people choose to have a bunch of cars on the front lawn or a bunch of trash or any, any number of things, um, it's their choice. Totally. So if you're going to go in that area, you kind of have to be okay with that. (laughs) But we found a two and a half acre lot. Um, that was, it actually backed up to the Balcones wildlife preserve, which was really cool. Um, so we felt like, you know, the likelihood of something being built behind it would be very minimal. And uh, it was on a hill, uh, so maybe a little bit undesirable, but we really just saw the diamond in the rough. It was also trashed. So it was owned by somebody who had, who lived in California and they had had uh, renters on the property in a manufactured home that at that point was not livable at all. We're not sure that they had trash service. So there was just piles of trash that looked like maybe they had been bulldozed into certain sections. Oh, wow. And several different random sheds with just tires and just all you name it. Um, so most people would look at this property and run the other way. <laughs> and we looked at it and we, you know, looked at the price. Um, I want to say it was, it was 40, we negotiated it down to 40 K and that, so that's two and a half acres Oh wow! for that price. Now it wasn't livable at that point. Um, but we knew the potential. We, we saw the tall, really great trees, just the, the area, we knew we could do something with it. Um, so we ended up buying that and um, we actually sold my other home. So for, I don't know, four months or so, I was uh, teaching at that point in time, getting my master's degree, living with my mother <laughs> and we were building what we dubbed our tree house. It was essentially a small studio, apartment, floating pier and beam construction, not meant to last, but just meant to get us out of debt. That was our main goal at that point. And um, because we knew obviously it's hard to propel yourself forward in real estate investing if you've got a ton of debt. So we lived in that for a period of time, got ourselves out of debt. And at that point, we kind of wanted a little bit more space. We were in like 800-ish square feet. So uh, at that point, Darren, and of course he, so he did that all himself. And I think that's a really big piece I might have skipped over is he built all of this. Well, we, I did help. (laughs) So we our four hands built this ourselves. Um, And we built that, that small studio um, tree house out of, out of pocket completely. Uh, And just really, really, we're just scraping by. So then we're going to upgrade so we took that decrepit mobile home that I mentioned that was on the property and we completely stripped it down to the the metal frame that it was on. And he built something like just standard construction code on that metal frame. So it was essentially like a manufactured home, but not officially because it didn't have all the, you know, serial number and paperwork and all that stuff. Um, so upgraded from 800 square feet to 925. <laughs> Nice. Have a little bit more space um, and lived in that for a period of time uh, until he built our, guess you could call it our real home on the property um, and ended up then, and for that one, we did get a loan. We had a construction loan uh, that turned into a permanent loan, but obviously him doing pretty much all the work. The only things he didn't do on the big house were the septic design and installation, the foundation and the drywall simply because we had done drywall before and we did not want to do it again. (laughs) So we were like, nope, subbing that one out, but he did everything else. And I mean, some people are like everything. Yes. Framing, electrical, plumbing, flooring, everything. Um, Yeah. So eventually we ended up selling that manufactured home and, you know, closed. And so I would say, then where we were at was we we're at this place where what we had put into the property, uh, the, the property was worth more than double that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we had this nice, you know, 2000 square foot um house built on that two and a half acres. And of course, the the market improved at that time. So there were some good comparables as well. And that of course helped our value. But so that was pretty huge. And and we strategically did that. Like the whole time we had this vision of taking this you know, diamond in the rough and, and making a value add, giving it that value add so that we could then get a home equity line of credit on it and have this pile, if you will, this um, line of credit to pull from to use in the future. And that's, of course, then what helped us this year.
1: That's an awesome story. Um, So just to clarify, and I think I know what you're talking about, the value doubled, you bought the land for 40000 plus the money you put in it, you you got doubled the value there.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to make sure everybody listening can understand that. Um, I, I had a great idea. That was it. But, um, you know, it sounds like you guys went through an awful lot and you put up with being uncomfortable for an awfully long time. I think my biggest question is what motivated you to do that? Not everybody is motivated to do this. A lot of people understand, hey, if I I live frugally for a period of time, I can pop out the other side and be in a much better spot, but it takes a certain understanding and also goals to be able to get there. What motivated you to do that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of elements. Um, I think initially the first move out there was the get out of debt move because we knew that we were not going to be able to financially be free ever if we were trudged in a mud pit of debt. Yeah. So that was really goal number one. And we focused on that and accomplished that probably within it, within a couple of years, I would say um, we were out of that, out of that debt. Um, and, and then from there it was envisioning, what our future would be. And we knew that having capital funds to invest further was going to be a big piece. But where were we going to get that? Well, we can work hard in our jobs. Yes, that's great. Um, and actually, that was part of me switching from being an elementary school teacher to being in mortgage so that my income could match my efforts a bit more. Yeah. Um, so that's a piece. Um, But certainly we're like, wow. that's, I mean, that's going to take a while. How do we get there faster? And we knew that if then we could increase the value of the property and get that line of credit, that that was, um, you know, obviously not super fast, but one of the faster ways to get there. Um, We're both super goal oriented. (laughs) Um, We have annual goal meetings, quarterly goal meetings. We visualize like crazy And about 10 years ago, so I guess that's 2015, we fine-tuned our life goal um, that we would like to live on a sailboat and travel the world by sailboat. And so when you have this gigantic picture of what you want to do, and it's huge, then you start reverse engineering and figuring out, well, what do you do? to get there. And I was actually just reading a great book called who not, how, or yeah, who not how. And so we also, I guess we're thinking who, I think more so now we're thinking who at first we were thinking how, 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 how do we get there? Now we're thinking who, who helps us get there. So yeah, kind of a combination of all of those things, but I would say vision goal setting and freaking teamwork.
1: <laughs> yeah. And absolutely huge fan of the who not how concept uh love that stuff um i'm not very good at a lot of things i know that i'm really good at a few certain things i'm really bad at most of the other stuff so finding who's to help take care of all the other stuff is great for me so i can focus on the the very few things that i'm good at Um, yeah for sure you know you mentioned debt i know debt is a huge hindrance to people right now. A lot of people for a lot of different reasons, you know, getting out of debt can seem very daunting. Um, what kind of debt was it mostly? Was it school debt or? or,
0: Yeah, well, school debt, credit cards, and then the, the house. Um, I bought it in 2008. It was a new home and we ended up taking a, a small loss on it, selling it, so didn't make any money there. Um, so yeah, I mean, selling the house when we think about what our debt was that was a huge part of it so selling that was a big chunk and then we um we each had some student loan debt and uh, you know credit cards and i think part of those credit cards were paying out of pocket for the you know getting started like with the small studio Mm -hmm. that we built and and things like that Um, so it was yeah getting us to that place so i'd say mostly student loans and credit cards i guess at that point and cars.
1: Yeah. So I think a, a big thing for a lot of people is just, obviously there's books like there's the Dave Ramsey methods and all those books. And did, mm-hmm. you, you, did you use utilize any certain method to pay off this debt? And how did you get started really attacking your debt? Very aggressive. Yeah.
0: Um, I think we, we analyzed our budget and saw anywhere where we could cut something. Um, we did not, I think when, when we moved to this property, we decided we don't need cable. And I think it was the age enough where Netflix and everything was was about. And so we just, you know, paid our cable fee to Netflix and Hulu and that sort of thing. And actually now we don't have any of those. We just watch YouTube. Oh wow. <laughs> At prime. Um, because we don't we spend most of our time doing other things. We don't watch a ton of TV. Um so analyzing like what do I actually really need? not just want, but really need. Um, Can I save on any of that? And getting the budget down, you know, making sure you have flexibility and room to breathe. Because I think if you cut off all fun, um, like we're never going to go out to eat, well, that's just setting yourself (laughs) up for failure. Um, So putting in an eating out budget, but having that eating out budget be, you know, minimal, very reasonable. And then taking that excess money, and I, I would say we did the snowball method is the, probably the best way to put it. Taking the smallest um, debt that you have, putting everything extra that you have towards that while continuing to pay the minimum payments on the rest. Once that one's done, then you take that plus all the extra and start hitting the next one.
1: Yeah, and great method too. So for anybody that's listening, Dave Rand, Dave Ramsey, The Money Makeover, I believe is what it's called. If you look up Dave Ramsey, you're going to have no problem finding anything about methods to help get rid of debt. And you know, I personally believe while real estate investing can be an amazing wealth builder, you want to get control of your finances before you start trying to go spend more money. And that doesn't always mean maybe you have to pay off all your student loans before you buy a property because you don't. You know, if you can buy a property that could help you live for less than you're currently living for, you could put more money towards your student loans. And that's never a bad idea.
0: Yeah. And, and we also, I, when I say that we got out of debt, I would say we got out of bad debt. Yeah. Um, and we we had things that we thought were reasonable. So we had reasonable car payments. And then at that point, we, we were caught up enough and in a good place that it wasn't really worth paying off all of the student loans. Mm-hmm. So we just got ourselves to that good place where all we had was that that installment, low interest rate, sort of sort of debt and went from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't necessarily,
0: you don't have to have a completely clean slate for sure.
1: And I think a lot of people need to talk to somebody like you before they start thinking about how what do I need to pay off? How much do I pay off? Because, you know, you might think I need to pay off all of my debt before I buy that first house hack or that first house. Maybe you don't need to pay it all off. And maybe it really doesn't make sense to pay it all off.
0: I then can help them. Well, actually, what's calculated in your debt to income ratio is not your balance. That's potentially part of what helps make your score. But it's the minimum payment that's calculated in the debt to income ratio. So you could feel like you have a lot of debts but what are the minimum payments for those debts people sometimes will say oh i have x amount of debt and what they're thinking about is their balances on their accounts whether it's student loans cars credit cards whatever Um, what we're concerned about on the lending end is the minimum payments on those so it may you may feel like you have a ton of debt and how in the world am i going to qualify but what we're looking at when we pull that mortgage credit report is all of the the minimum payments for those things. And so I always advise, like, let's look at it first before you go spend ten grand pan on something that you actually were totally fine. You qualify just fine by having that. Um, and or we can strategically look at what's going to be the best bang for your buck uh, to pay down and or off. Um, and then there's some things you don't want to pay off um, for certain reasons. So Definitely good to, to look at it first.
1: Yeah, I think you a lot of times it's been explained to me of, especially if your goal is to be a real estate investor, don't take this giant lump sum of cash and pay off something that's not hurting you too bad, like a, a student loan with a low interest rate. Um, not a big fan of student loans, but not always the worst <laughs> thing to have. None of us are. Yeah. yeah, not always the worst thing to have. Maybe you could use that 20 or 30 grand more effectively to help you grow your wealth faster than just throwing it at a student loan.
0: Yep. Totally agree.
1: Awesome. Um, So, you know, Becca, I know you guys invest a lot up in the Leander Liberty Hill area. And I think I know why, but could you just tell me a little bit more about why you guys invest there and why you think it's a great place to be?
0: Yeah. And I think just Austin and the surrounding areas are really strong economy. Um, I think that we felt um, the pains of like the 2008 to 2012 stuff in the same way that other cities in our country felt that. Um, so, So for that reason, it's just kind of like Austin sort of emanates out from there. And I grew up in Cedar Park from like fifth grade on And Cedar Park was like a little bit of nothing when I was first there and then just totally exploded. Uh, And I think Leander and Liberty Hill are are very similar. And then, of course, you just skirt around the whole circle of Austin. Um, And there's just so many little pockets where there's opportunity for that, for those value add opportunities. Um, So it's just it's really cool to find those pockets and then just dig in and go for it.
1: Yeah, and I think Leander slash Liberty Hill has a lot of that opportunity to add value and even still get in what I would say is early to the area. So uh, there's a lot going on there. There's a ton of development there. You know, I think if you're looking in the urban core of Austin, you're really missing out on a lot of the growth, you know, like Leander and Liberty Hill are going to experience in the next decade or two.
0: Yeah. For sure. And I I think those that aren't as familiar with the area may not realize that, but Mm -hmm. when you get more familiar with the area, you'll realize it's, it's like, like if I go out of town and people ask where I'm from, I say Austin,
1: yeah,
0: right? Because no one really knows where, (laughs) unless you're from the area, you don't know what Leander is. Even some people that live in Austin don't know what Leander is. But I think most people kind of around that general circle of Austin associate themselves like where are you from? Well I'm from Austin. Um uh, maybe I live in Round Rock. I live or live in Leander, but I'm from it's the Austin area. So it mm-hmm. really spreads out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the you know the Austin MSA. Nobody in Dallas says, you know, I'm from Carrollton. Right. I'm from Dallas Fort Worth. You know, yeah. and we combine that whole area. And I think yeah, Leander and Liberty Hill absolutely is part of the Austin MSA. So it's important to pay attention to places like that. Um, Becca, I know you've had a lot of experience with lots of real estate transactions. Could you maybe tell us something you've seen go horribly wrong, maybe on the lending side? I know a big piece of advice lenders always give people is, hey, don't, don't run up different lines of credit before we close here, after we're done, do whatever you want, but don't go buy a new car, don't do a huge purchase on your credit cards. Maybe something just to help people that are looking to buy real estate to know to avoid. Hey, guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. um, (laughs) I guess to situations. Uh, I had one where somebody got really excited when they were under contract and the refrigerator did not convey with the purchase. So they were going to need a new one and they had the money for it. Um, but they got points on their card. So why would they not put it on their card? That made perfect sense to them. Um, and they just didn't think about a big purchase like that going on their card. But luckily <laughs> they were talking to their realtor and the realtor was like, you need to call back right now. <laughs> so she called me. We're probably like two weeks away from, uh, from closing and we paid, paid it off on the card. So we didn't have an added balance or anything like that, that would, that would change it. So it was like whoosh, close call, but I think it's so easy. And I honestly think I might've done it myself when we were closing on our permanent loan or maybe a refinance. Like I was, I was doing something like that and I totally pulled a, Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be buying that when you're (laughs) when you're under contract. So it's just so easy to forget because you're excited and there's appliances and furniture and all of that stuff. So, um, I always say before you buy something like just put your credit cards in the freezer or something, before you buy anything, when you're under contract, you talk to me first because sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not okay. Um, and then I had another situation where somebody owned a piece of land that they didn't tell me about, um, and they weren't trying to be deceptive in any way. Mm-hmm. They just didn't think about it at all. Uh, they had inherited it, and there was there was it was just land. There was nothing on it. So their taxes are very small and there's no mortgage on it and there's no insurance. So, you know, they're just, they're not, they weren't thinking about it at all. (laughs) And I think it came up in a, in a title search or something along those lines and kind of same thing. We figured it out halfway and we're like, crap. All right, well, let's document this puppy. And (laughs) again, figured out a way to still make it work even with that. So, I've always modified my questions now um at the end of an application I always clarify like so do you own any other properties or pieces of land oh. because when you hear properties you think house yeah or pieces of land
1: <laughs> yeah dude. yeah exactly that's awesome um yeah I think that's or people need to know that is, you know, just make sure your lender knows about everything and anything and check with them before you do anything too. So make sure you don't shoot yourself in the foot. Again, once you're closed, whatever you want to do.
0: Yep. yeah, exactly.
1: So could you just tell us one thing you think newer investors need to know? So let's say I'm a new investor and I want to get into real estate investing I haven't talked to anybody. You know, what would you recommend they do first and what do you think they should know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think getting with a local realtor mm-hmm. is really important because they're gonna know the market, the climate, pockets, good good pockets for investing. Cause I mean, if you're if you're looking for a primary home, well, that's probably potentially a different area of town that you're looking in than if you're looking for. An investment property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the needs list is just totally different. Um, so, having an idea of price point or are, is your goal value add, is your goal cash flow, and really talking that through with someone um, not only who knows the market, but who I would advise is an investor themselves because they understand those conversation points even better. Um, and then on my end, knowing the loan options, um, knowing that, hey, yeah, you can buy a duplex with an FHA loan as a primary residence if you're going to occupy one unit. And guess what? You get to use the projected you know, 75% of the projected rental income on that other unit to help you qualify. And so when you realize some of the cool things along those lines that you can do, that opens up opportunities, I think.
1: Yeah, I think some of the best advice I've gotten and the biggest things I've learned that have helped my investing career is just knowing and understanding more about loans and how everything works and how you can piece things together. Because, you know, if you only understand that you need to get a loan, you're at a severe disadvantage. You understand in what sequence you can get loans and what loans can work best for you and what tips and tricks there are to help you save money and and put less money down helps a ton, you know?
0: Yeah. And I've chatted with so many people. um, And I have so many past clients that the same thing um, that we chat about what their long-term goals are. (laughs) I had someone come to me. She's like, all right, I have this much money. and I want to buy four rental properties in the next couple of years how do I do that? Okay. So we made a plan. Um, you know, other people that are, okay, I'm just starting out and I'm going to do a duplex. I'm going to live in one side. Okay. Well, what are you, what are you going to want to do after that? Are you going to want to buy something else after that and making that plan and talking through the logistics of that for them? Cause it may look different. There's obviously strategies that others use, but the strategy for each person might be a little bit different, but having that plan. Absolutely. I agree with you is really helpful.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, after you talk to a a trusted realtor, you know, talking to a lender next is your absolute best step. It doesn't really matter who you talk to first, in my head, but you need to talk to somebody. Realtors don't make money by sitting and talking to you for coffee. So don't feel bad that you're going to have to pay somebody or you're wasting their time by asking them some questions. And the same thing, you know, lenders, they want to talk to you, they want to help you. So, reach out to these people, talk to them. It's going to help you get a lot of clarity and figure out the best plan possible to move forward, not just to one property, but to multiple properties after that, if that's your goal.
0: Right.
1: And really, I can't tell you, I know just enough about loans to be really dangerous. (laughs) I can't tell you how many people I talk to that think they're years out from buying a property. I'm like, man, you could buy a house tomorrow. (laughs) You know, there's, you need to talk to somebody to verify this stuff. And I, I talk to people so often that seem not afraid, but just hesitant to go talk to a lender because they don't want to waste their time or they think, oh, just talking to a lender, I'm going to get my credit pulled and I'm not ready to do that yet. There's Just so many misconceptions about approaching a lender. And I think the sooner you do, the better off you're going to be.
0: Yeah. And I think too, um... So your average loan officer, and I heard this statistic a a few years ago, so it might be slightly off, but your average loan officer is a 53-year-old male. So, you know, if you talk to someone that is in that realm, they've been in the industry for a really long time, which can be a good thing. could also be a bad thing because they've been doing the same thing for years and years. So they potentially are not willing and or able to think creatively. And I think that's, at least for myself, where I stand apart. Obviously, I'm not a 53-year-old male. (laughs) So that's a couple points for me there. Um, But in the same way that I had to think creatively to help my students who all had different learning abilities, speeds, styles. Mm helping all of the people that I'm helping now figure out what their plan is for purchasing and investing. Um, I think it's a, it's a huge piece, but really, yeah. Finding that right fit. And, and yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to pull your credit until you're ready. Um, but I also don't want you to not call me because you're scared and you don't know. I think that's the thing. Like I have people call me all the time and they're like, well, I don't know, this, 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 and this. And I'm like, well, great, you're in the right place because this whole process that we do together, starting with this conversation, figures all of those things out. So guess what, like we're gonna start a journey that answers all those questions for you and tells you exactly what you can do now and make a plan for what you could do in the future.
1: Yeah, you know, and I I talked to my father's a realtor in Louisville, Kentucky. When I thought about wanting to buy a house, he said, hey, I'm going to connect you with a lender friend of mine here in Louisville. So they can't do loans for me in Minneapolis at the time. But he said, I'm going to connect you with somebody and they're going to tell you what you need to do. My credit was terrible. I had a 550 credit score. I couldn't even get a credit card. He said, mm-hmm. hey, here's what you got to do. Go to your bank, buy yourself a line of credit. So I gave yep. U.S. bank $300. They gave me a $300 line of credit. And I was so scared of credit because I'd messed it up clearly that I didn't do anything more than put my Netflix bill on that every month, every month, right away. Credit score just shot up pretty quickly. I was able to get an actual credit card where I wasn't paying for the line of credit. And just by talking to this guy, I can't even remember who it is now. It was probably seven or eight years ago that just by talking to him, I put together a plan of how to turn around my credit. It wasn't hard. It's just buying a credit card, opening credit lines when I was able, making sure all my debts were paid off. Really easy, but I didn't know how to do that myself. I needed to talk to a lender to figure it out.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, so absolutely reach out, talk to a lender. If your credit is terrible and you think, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to buy a house. I have a 450 credit score. They're going to be able to refer you to somewhere where you can fix this credit score where you can get in the position to buy. Maybe it's not right now. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's two, three years from now. But two to three years in your whole lifetime is nothing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that sort of goes back to the mentality that we had when we were getting out of debt. I mean, our our credit wasn't bad necessarily, um, but it's a similar mindset of, okay, I've got this that I've got to work on now. But if I go 100% at this, and and then this maybe fixing your credit, Mm -hmm. what other opportunities is that going to open up in the future, as opposed to, you know, wallowing in, oh, my credit's bad, and then never doing anything about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, real estate's a long-term game. So getting those first steps, maybe it's opening a secured line of credit, a credit card you pay for. That's the first step in the right direction. That might take you to $10 million of real estate in 15 years. But- you don't get started with that you're not going to get anywhere
0: yeah yeah sometimes it's a slow um initial launch if you will but then it ramps up and it starts to pick up speed at some point
1: absolutely totally totally big fan of that you know it's going to be hard you're going to be trudging at first but it it picks up speed after a while yeah so Becca, what's your best advice for people looking to invest in the Austin area, especially right now with the market just being very crazy? It's (laughs) January 2021. You need to have your ducks in a row if you're going to go try to invest in Austin.
0: Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Um, I think you potentially need to have your mindset in the right place, um, that the supply is low and that um, you need to be open to possibilities. Um, I think sometimes not always, but sometimes people walk into homes and they want everything to be perfect already so that they don't have to do or change anything, but that house that you walk into, that's perfect. If you in fact find one that's on the market, that is that way. Um, it may also have 30 other offers on it that you're going to be competing against. So I think having that flexibility and, and the mindset of knowing like, okay, all right. So it's, it's intense out there, but we're ready. We know what we can buy. We're flexible. Um, I think that's one thing is having that, that mindset, not going into it thinking like, Oh, we're going to win the first offer that we make. I mean, You may, but you also may not. <laughs> so I would just hate to send you out, you know, whistling and into the wind, into the Austin market <laughs> without a care in the world. Um, but yeah, I think knowing knowing all of the lending piece and having that pre-approval in hand. Because I think that that pre-approval allows one, a letter to go out immediately when you're ready to make an offer. And two, allows me to, if you want, have a conversation with the listing agent to brag about you. I'm not going to tell them your financials, but they like to know, hey, you're working with a lender that I can call. I can get a hold of. I could text them. Oh, and they've told me about yep, I've reviewed X, Y, and Z, and they're good to go. And they're very excited about the house. Um, having all of those ducks in a row is huge. I mean, I think you could probably speak to this. If you walk into a house and all you've got is a prequal from, you know, big name bank I was going to name a few, but I'll just say big name bank. (laughs) Um, it's not going to be taken seriously at all. And to be fair, a pre-approval from a big name bank may not even mean a lot at all because people want to know that they're going to be able to get a hold of the lenders and be able to have track of the pro progress of the loan and that it's going to be closed in a reasonable amount of time, not in three months. So just having all, yeah, having that lending piece nailed down and then having the right mentality going into the, the house hunt.
1: Yeah. I think connections are so important in this market. So You know, if you come in with a lender from out of state or online and they just don't know anybody and they can't talk to the agent, knowing that a house is going to close is so important right now. Yeah. You can save a few grand if you can guarantee you're going to close. So, you know, if you're coming in cash, of course, you can guarantee I'm going to close. There's no financing contingency, but not most people aren't using cash. I don't think it's always a good idea to use cash to buy real estate. You know, use use loans when you're getting these amazing sub 3% interest rates. You, yeah. I would never give anybody a loan for less than 3%. I know that.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, we're lowest in recorded history right now. So uh, yeah, pretty cheap money to borrow.
1: Use that to your advantage. But yeah, if you're going to use a lender, use somebody that can step up and show up and And make sure that the realtor feels comfortable that you're going to close. You know, if you get past that option period, this is going to close. So all we have to worry about is this three to seven day option period here. And past that, we're good. You know, Becca's working on it. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers to that. Here you go. So, you know, you talked a lot about mindset, Becca. What's your favorite business or mindset book that you like?
0: I have two. Um, so the first is You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. It actually has a follow-up book called You Are a Badass at Making Money. And when I transition from being a teacher to being um, in lending, uh, and then again, when I transition from being on a team and lending to being uh, on my own uh, as a loan officer and branch manager, That book, I mean, I've probably read it three or four times and I get something different out of it every time, (laughs) Uh, but just helps you start to shake away those negative self thoughts and talk um, and just own your badassness. And I think the second book as well helps you deal with uh, the misconceptions and feelings and thoughts that you have around money and how that's been shaped maybe by your parents, um, family, society, those sort of things Mm -hmm. and becoming more comfortable with money. Not, it's not, you know, not making it taboo. Yeah. So those two are are huge. And then, um, and so I'd say that's both personal and business in my opinion, both of those. Mm -hmm. Um, and then raving fans is one of my favorite books too. It's a super short reading, probably, read it in a day or a weekend. Um, It's just a little fictional story. But the concept is creating your business in such a way and doing things for your clients in such a way that they walk away as absolute raving fans. Um, And at that point, you've created lifelong clients. You've created clients that are going to, you know, go knock knock on their neighbor's doors and, oh, you got to use my gal. You got to use Becca. She's amazing. She did this, this and that. Um, and it's just the, and how to nurture that. And so a lot of the things that I do in my business, and I've read that one several times too. A lot of those things that I do in my business are, are based on that. Uh, You know, I want to make loans fun and I want to create raving fans. And my business has been a hundred percent referral based from the beginning Mm -hmm. still is. And that's hard when you have nothing, when you start out, um, but to see how it's grown by doing what I love and nurturing and loving on people, focusing on relationships and making raving fans um, is huge. So I'd say it's a short, simple read, but big impact.
1: Yeah, I can tell you've read that one. So, bear very apparent. Yes. <laughs> so, Becca, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, best
0: way, gosh. Um,
1: or prob- multiple ways even.
0: Yeah, there's there's so many different ways you can get a hold of me. So um, you can, of course, email me, becca at mortgageright.com. You can give me a call. All of my info, of course, is on my website. Uh, you can actually text my name, Becca, that's B-E-C-C-A, um, to three, I guess I should double check this. <laughs> I should have had that organized. Uh, text it to 36260. So you just text my name to 36260 and it will send you my mobile app that oh. basically acts like a mobile business card. also has cool calculator features and allows you to apply and everything directly from that app. So that's really cool. Um, my website is wemakeloansfund.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I think that covers it all. So any of those avenues, you can connect with me.
1: Yep. And we'll have all that in the show notes too, guys. So just Check out the show notes if if you didn't catch it there, rewind. But also, you'll be able to find her in the show notes there. Um, Becca, last question, most important question we ask here is, what's your favorite restaurant in Austin?
0: Yeah, um, I love Soto S O T O, and I have only been to the Cedar Park location. Um, I believe there's a downtown location as well, but some pretty badass sushi, and yeah. I, I haven't, I guess like location, price point, quality comes together for me there. So obviously I I'm, you know there's probably fancier sushi restaurants, but uh, that's my favorite.
1: Awesome, yeah, can can attest to that too. Great sushi, especially for the price. Go to Soto um, and reach out to Becca if you need any help with mortgages. If you have any questions about investing in the Austin area, she's always a great resource. And she would love to help you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so Thanks much, for having
1: Becca. me. Absolutely. Yeah. We will talk to you soon and have a great day.
0: Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.